such a great, great message because no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, we are all gathered here together as imperfect people before an almighty, holy God. So thank you for taking the time to come. Welcome back, or back to Church Sunday. How about that? Thank you for being here. We have looked forward to this day, and uh, we appreciate the opportunity and the time that you've taken to come, and all those that invited others to be here. It means a lot to us. More importantly, it means so much to our Heavenly Father. And we pray that this service will mean much to you as well as you listen to God's Spirit speak. If you're a guest for the very first time, uh, we would love for you to take the uh, guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out in its entirety. Drop it in the offering box when you leave today so that this week we could acknowledge your being with us. We would certainly appreciate that. And if it's not your first time but you've never filled out one of those cards, please take the opportunity to do it. We are looking forward to this time of worship. We appreciate the men. I think that's the first time our men have sung in a good while. So great job. And uh, we're looking at flying away flying away because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the time you've given us to come and to enjoy this time of worship, a special day, a special day where we can engage with the power of your Spirit, your presence here. And I pray that, Father, we will move all the concerns out of our minds and we will focus completely upon you as the Holy God. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your forgiveness. For Father, it only comes through your Son, Jesus. And today, we have come to worship Him. And I pray that through the songs we sing from the depths of our heart, the words that we communicate, Father, will be genuine. And not just merely looking at words on a screen, but Father, they will mean something to us. And through this service, I pray that we will experience your presence and the power of your Spirit moving and I pray that we will listen to what your word has to say. And Father, I pray that we will listen to you and that there will be a response on our part as an act of worship today. And so we are excited. Speak to us, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs> Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the power and the glory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and in thy hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Praise him together.
Good morning. Please join me in prayer this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, yes, we are saved by grace. And it isn't what we deserve, but we are saved because you paid the penalty. You died for each of our souls. And Lord, may we live to praise you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. We pray that your Holy Spirit will have an encounter with each person. I pray, Lord God, there is just one that doesn't know you. I pray that this be the day that they will turn their life over to you. I ask you to bless the pastor as he preaches this morning. And help us, Father, to clear our minds. We are here to worship and worship only. In Jesus' wonderful name, I pray. Amen.
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do we say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, whose those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. We are blessed today by the reading of these words, for they are the words of the Lord.
Jeff, thank you very much. A powerful song, and this morning, what a powerful time of worship through music. Through our various ensembles, the Faithful Voices, the um, Woman of Grace, through the Congregational Singing, God speaks through the power of music, the words. And this morning, you have been engaged actively in a time of celebration, a time that uh, brings us together in unity. In the message this morning, I'm going to be addressing a different kind of situation and a different attitude. But first, if you'll join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to worship today. And God, our prayer is very specific, that you will speak to us, we'll listen, and we'll respond. And I pray that the power of your Spirit will help each one of us to be changed when we leave this place today. It's in the name of Jesus, through the power of his Spirit, we pray. Amen. We decided to remodel uh, portions of our house when we lived in Florida. And uh, one of the things that we remodeled was, uh, was our kitchen counters. They'd been there for some 25, 30 years when the house was originally built. And uh, so the, the workmen came in and they took off the old counters. And lo and behold, right there on top of the counter, there was this scribbling. And the scribbling was that of, I think, about a seven-year-old girl. And she wrote down all the family names and the date because that's when the house was built. And she wanted a lasting memory. She had no idea that 25, 30 years later, we would be reading that. <laughs> you know, we always like to try to figure out, what is somebody writing? What is somebody putting in their notebook, on their computer? We're interested in what people are thinking. We come to this passage today in John chapter 8 entitled it, Writing in the Sand, because I think we're a little bit intrigued about what Jesus might have written in the sand, or the dirt, or the dust, or the ground, or however you want to interpret it. It would be insightful to know what his thoughts are as he's putting that on the ground. And so the question is why? Why did he do that? A daily and common experience is that of judging and being judged. Jesus could not speak to the life of people if he didn't address this topic in his teaching. This provided a great opportunity. He was speaking directly 
about the condemners and those who condemn. Here in this passage, John chapter 8, it's probably one of the most dramatic episodes in the entirety of the Gospels. Because here we are brought face to face with one who is judged and those who are judging her. Now the fact is, in Scripture, that she is guilty. She was caught in the very act of adultery. And so they judged her, and now they call upon Jesus to join them in their condemnation. So how does Jesus respond? He responds in two ways. First, he instructs those who are judgmental. And secondly, he offers a stern mercy to the one who is guilty. And those transfer to us. In this brief encounter, Jesus gives us some warnings all these years later. First, he says, beware of the motives of those who condemn and demean. You see, those who condemn and demean, they misunderstand what Jesus is trying to communicate, his message. The very act of condemnation interrupted what Jesus was doing. He was teaching in the temple courts. He had been teaching the day before, and he came back and was teaching yet again the truths of God's desire and heart. And it's a beautiful scene. <coughs> God's son was at God's house teaching God's word. How could you get any more beautiful than that? Here was a son of God in God's house teaching God's word. His words were profound through these passage, this passage. The day before in John chapter 7 and verse 24, which is going to relate to what he was about to do, he said, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge, judge correctly. And for some, they would say judge correctly, that means by the law. I don't think so. I think it means judge correctly, meaning judge by God's standards, not human standards. Judge by God's standards, not by what, as humans, we write down should be, in our minds, the law or the principle. After this encounter, in verse 15 of John chapter 8, he said, you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. One of the things I pick away from this is, uh, is the understanding that Jesus values everyone. When he makes this statement, I pass judgment on no one, he gives us an understanding of what we should be like. That we should value everyone. Whether they're different from us, by any standard. If they have different political beliefs, if they have a different place that they live, if they're different in their ethnicity or their culture, then we are whoever we are. Jesus values them and he says you need to value them as well. To value everyone. 
At the center of Jesus' message is a message of mercy. At the same time, he will not tolerate sin. So we have this, this incredible opportunity of justice and mercy intersecting. Jesus provides incredible answers. So this morning, if your tendency is to judge or condemn or to criticize, you are not in touch with Jesus' heart. Don't misunderstand Jesus' heart and his message. There is mercy. Also, Jesus warns that the method of those who condemn and demean are unmerciful. Here, the religious leaders dragged a woman before Jesus and the crowd. He was in the middle of his teaching, but they had a point to make. This woman had been caught in the very act of adultery. At the very act of the scripture, when you look into it, means right at the very act of everything taking place. But this was not a time for a parade. Jesus could have judged the question that they asked without her even being there. For them, it was a secondary motive. It was vindictive. It would only harden her heart with this steadfast defiance that I will not be told what to do. And so it was not redeeming at all. You can just imagine the scene. Here this woman caught in the very act of adultery, whether she is partially clothed, naked, or fully clothed, we're not sure. But it, it, there is this understanding, depending on what commentary that you read, uh, that it was an embarrassing situation with all of these people around that Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, and you know how busy the temple courts were. And then the question comes, where was her lover? Because he should have been brought at the same time, according to Scripture. So here we find that the method of condemners is to expose. The method of Jesus is to redeem. And the question we have to ask ourselves, are you a redeemer or are you a condemner? The third warning that Jesus gives is that the message of those who condemn and demean often appear to be religious. Here, these religious leaders, they came quoting the Old Testament. The religious leaders said in John chapter 8 and verse 5, in the law of Moses, <coughs> commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say, Jesus? And God's law did indeed call for the stoning of this woman. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, the scripture says that if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24, he says, If a man happens to meet in town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take them both to the gate of that town and stone them to death. Kind of chilling, isn't it? Why did he do that? Well, the last part of verse 24 says, You must purge evil from among you. So we understand that adultery is wrong. It's sinful. 
We understand that, that God does not look upon it lightly at all. And so when they come, these religious leaders, they come with this idea and understanding that they're quoting the Bible. But their motive and their message is incorrect. You see, condemners are often technically correct. The judgmental recognize that the letter of the law kills. They do not recognize that the Spirit gives life. And there is such a contrast. God is not desiring religiosity, but rather he is desiring a life of grace and mercy, a life that builds up, not tears down and destroys. We also see that Jesus warns that the motive of those who condemn and demean many times is hidden. They have a strategy, and they're working their strategy. Here these religious judges use the woman as a pawn. They were vindictive of her, but uh, this seemed to be a trap in every way. They had little concern for the woman. They had little concern for the law of God. They had little concern for truth. They had in mind that they wanted to do everything they could to trap Jesus. Why is that? I think their only concern was to make Jesus look bad and make themselves look good. Find some way to accuse him, to get him off the scene so that they once again would be the ones the people were flocking to. But see, Jesus spoke truth, religious leaders, and that day did not. Many times, that's the way it is with judges and abusers and those who criticize. They do whatever they can to look good, to feel powerful. And so they assert themselves in these areas. Concerning the woman caught in adultery, there would be no Jewish court in that day that would pass the death penalty. There would be no Roman court who would convict that woman. So it was a trap. And here's what we see. If Jesus had enforced Moses' law to have them stone the woman, he would have challenged the authority of Rome, who alone had the power to execute. If he refused Moses' law, he would have appeared to have questioned the very law of God. It's quite a pickle, isn't it? Sometimes it seems like whatever we do or whichever way we go, we, 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 we're going to create a problem. Their motive was a well-thought-out plan to trap Jesus. But listen, in contrast, we should observe the method of the Master. And we should take this method to heart. First, observe Jesus' method with the judgmental. He addressed them. His method was one of hesitation. You see, those who judge hesitate at nothing. But Jesus waits. Why did he write in the sand? That's the question that we have, right? Why did he write in the sand? And what did he, what did he write? 
Well, some say that he was, he, he was writing the sand because he was angry or embarrassed or he refused to speak. Others say he was writing down the, the sins of those who were the judgmental ones, the religious leaders. Yet there were others who were writing, say that they, he was writing down the sins of the woman. I don't know if it had been me writing in the sand in that situation, I would have been taking notes because I probably would have forgotten what they were saying. But not Jesus. I remember as a kid, we lived in Alamogordo, New Mexico for about six years from, from when I was about two and a half to eight and a half. And uh, my dad was pastoring between Alamogordo and Las Cruces is this beautiful place called the White Sands National Monument. How many of you have been there? That's it? It's not that far. <laughs> there are beautiful sands. I mean, it's not like a beach because you don't have a lot of water, but it is kind of like a beach without the water. <laughs> but at my house, I have uh, an old Peter Pan peanut glass jar. And in that jar, when I was five years old, we went out to White Sands, one of many times while we were there, and I put some White Sands, or my mom did, I can't remember which, but she, she did it for me, and gave me those White Sands so that I would remember. And that was nearly 60 years ago. Why is it? It's a memory. Amazing. Man, we went there a lot. We took our kids there. Even when we lived in Seattle, you know, we, trips back, we would go to White Sands. I, I look forward to the day I can take my grandkids there. 60 years. And you know it's illegal to take sands away from there. So I've been kind of waiting, waiting for somebody to, uh, to come to my door. <laughs> but one of the things about the sands there as you can climb hard up to the top and slide down. You can write things in the sand. And you know, with the wind blowing in just a short while, what you've done is gone. I think that Jesus' writing means absolutely nothing to us and what he wrote. I think this may have implied his willingness to let the wind of forgiveness blow away what the judges wished to make permanent. The point of this passage is not what was being written in the sand, but rather that hypocrisy in judging is forbidden. We would do well to hesitate in situations of judgment and to, to make sure that we refrain. Because that's what Jesus did before he made a very insightful and decisive statement. Second, we find that Jesus' method is one of instruction. They ask him to deliver a legal verdict there on the spot. The crowd he was teaching, all the religious leaders, the woman standing in the middle, embarrassed, ashamed. But what Jesus did is he turned that on them. He lifted the entire episode up to a level of abiding spiritual principle. He moves away from the legalism of the law and brings in the spiritual understanding of the heart of God in this matter. In verse 7, 
of John chapter 8, it says that when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You see, Moses' law called for the witnesses of what took place to throw the stones first. And guess what? When Jesus said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone, from the eldest, the older of the religious leaders who began to drop their stones and walk away, to the youngest. You see, they all realized they were not without sin. You see, only the sin, sinless one has the right to execute, and he refused to do so. Jesus' statement was profound. It cuts to the heart. And so here in this observation, we need to hesitate before we speak and judge. We need to listen to the instruction of Jesus and reflect upon our own life and our own missteps. And third, we find that Jesus' method led to conviction. These religious leaders marched out of the temple courts from the oldest to the youngest because they knew. I thought it was interesting that it was the oldest that walked out first because they had a longer experience in life of knowing how many times they had failed. Jesus cuts through to reality. Not just things that are printed on a page, not just opinions, but he cuts to the heart of the matter in what is truth, absolute truth. And this leads to the question, are you really free of that which you condemn, that you judge, that you criticize? Are you free of that? Some research shows that those that are the most vigorous and aggressive in their criticisms or their judgments, they themselves battle the same thing. Now, observe Jesus' method with the guilty. We see what he, he did with, with those who judge, the judges, those religious leaders in that day, those of us who are judges and criticizers and abusers. But observe Jesus' method. We find that we stand alone. Ultimately, every sinful one of us will meet Jesus alone. We will stand before him. In verse 9 of John 8, the scripture says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Very intriguing. And Jesus, when they began to ask these questions and condemn, he was writing in the sand. And after he made his very profound statement, once again he began to write in the sand. And when he looked up, it was just he and the woman. The judgment of others is not what matters. We do have to deal with the pain of the judgment of others and work through the emotional 
and sometimes the physical issues. But when it's all said and done, the judgment of others is not what matters. Only his word about sin stands. So not only are we alone, but also we are without excuse. There's nothing in this story that justifies the woman's act. She was wrong. She was a sinner, as was her lover and others who were complicit in this setting of the trap. It's interesting that she speaks only once. And when she speaks, she doesn't give any excuses. Verse 10 said, Jesus said to woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. Nothing about Jesus' attitude lessens the seriousness of sin. So I don't want you to misunderstand what happened here. Jesus came down hard and heavy on those who were judging, those who were criticizing, those who had the motive of trying in any way to find fault with someone else. But he didn't lessen the sin of this one. See, Jesus does not encourage sin, but he sure loves the sin. And we say that a lot, and sometimes it just becomes a cliché. It only becomes a cliché if in your heart it's a cliché. Because I want you to know, I want to be like Jesus. I don't like sin. I don't like it in my own life when I'm tempted, and it's right before me, and I don't like it at all, because it's the footstep of evil getting into our lives. <coughs> but I am sure glad he loves me. In my frailties. Here the Lord silences the critics of this world while healing the hearts that are burdened with guilt and shame. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I don't have time to read it today. <coughs> but you write it down in your notes. Go back and look at this, because what he wants to do is he wants to silence those who judge and abuse and criticize, and he wants to encourage healing to take place. Also, we're given another chance by his grace. Jesus did not pronounce this woman worthy of stoning. However, we find that he does release her for another opportunity of grace and mercy and forgiveness. As John 3, 17 states, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. His idea was not to condemn her. He did not approve of the sin. It was sin, and it brought separation between, between the person and God. But his desire was not to condemn, but rather to love and to show mercy and to show grace and to show forgiveness if she would step forward. You know, we ourselves are living in a time of his mercy. We just have to embrace it, believe it, and live it out. And the last thing we see here is that we are given a stern mercy. It's an interesting term. 
In verse 11 again, he, the, the scripture says, No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's an open opportunity for her. It's a change. He's saying change your whole life. Jesus' stern mercy is not soft stuff. It's not just a slap on the wrist. He's being straightforward. That sin is something that God hates. But God loves the sinner. He loves you. He loves me. The only one who can condemn us will not do so. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, at 33 and 34, he says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. He's the one I want on my team. The one that took my sins upon the cross at Calvary. And through not only his physical suffering, but the spiritual battle that took place on the cross at Calvary. His resurrection that justifies, justifies me before God. Because when God looks at me in my sinfulness, what he actually sees is Jesus' righteousness. And that's what I strive and what each of us should strive to live for is the righteousness of God in our lives. Listen, you live under the opportunity for that stern mercy, that same statement. I don't condemn you, but go now. Go now and change your life by the power of the Spirit of God. So those who are judges, abusers, or criticizers you can have this mercy and this grace and this forgiveness. He offers it to you today. For those who are hurting and burdened by past experiences, do not despair. He is the one that offers hope, and he's the one who provides that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness to you. And please know that those who receive forgiveness have repented. And I want you to know that their life is never the same. And what I want for you today is to understand that your life, when you accepted Christ, is never the same. But there is that possibility that you have not grown spiritually to the place that he desires you to be. Even as followers of Jesus, we, we can be judges, condemners, abusers, and criticizers. And it's time for us to look deeply within the mirror of our soul. And today would be a day to say, you know what? Not only is today a back-to-church Sunday, but man, today is a day I can come back into a right relationship with God. I have him as my Savior. I want to have the abundant life. And I want to change. I, I don't want to demean anyone. I don't want to condemn anyone. What I want to do is I want to show mercy and grace and forgiveness, unconditional love. And today, today we can choose as believers to say, that's what I want to do.
I want a new start. This is going to be a spiritual marker day. I'm going to write it down, and me and God are going to have a talk during the invitation right in the pew where you are to say, God, I want you to help me. That when I look at people, I value them. And because I value them like you value them, I will not condemn, and I will not judge, and I will not criticize. I will not demean them. Rather, I will uplift them. I will build them up. I will encourage them. I will show them the example of Jesus. Today, in our invitation, I would ask you to make that decision, and you and God have a conversation about that. Listen to what he's saying. Please. And then respond as an act of worship. Today, some of you might not have a relationship with Jesus. We'd love, during this invitation, for you to come and give your life to Christ. And also, we'd love for you, if you haven't, to come and join our church, our fellowship, and a great group of folks here that have a heart for people in this community and around the world. You come. I'm going to ask you if you would stand. We're going to sing our invitation hymn. I'm going to lead in prayer. And as we move forward, then... Listen to what God says. Father, I pray in the power of your spirit, understanding this situation in John chapter 8, that God, that you would speak to us deep within our heart, that we would have the heart of God. Whatever, whatever needs to happen for us to have that transformation, that rededication, that reaffirmation, the power of your spirit living inside of us, I pray right now in this invitation, we would decide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You come if you would. Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life. My hope, my, my glory, my all. Wonderful
for our opportunities of ministry, but I want you to know that today, this celebration day of Back to Church Sunday is not the only time we're doing things special. Next week, we have something so cool for you guys. I hope that you'll come focused on worship, and Nancy will tell you all about it. I want to start by saying a wonderful thank you to the choir, to both ensembles, to Gordon for leading us in worship today. Thank you. And to Jeff Garut, who blessed us. I hope you will take the opportunity to meet Jeff and Rebecca. I just met them a few weeks ago, but I have already been blessed by both of them. Thank you for being with us today. You will see in your bulletin on the right-hand side the emphasis on the state mission offering. And you'll see that our church goal is $4,500 to date, or at least at the date of the printing of the bulletin, we have received 1,123. So we're going to see just a very brief video, and then I'll continue. It's Ruben from the Parker campus here in Parker, Arizona, along with my wife, Joanna. Uh, we just want to thank everybody for your giving and for your support. You know, it helps us to stay on mission and continue to do what God's called us to do in Parker, Arizona. So again, we want to thank the convention. We want to thank you for your missional giving and continue to support our planters because it really does help us. It helps, helps us to focus and do what we're called to do. So thank you for your support. We appreciate it. We're just in awe of what God is doing in Parker, and we just want to thank you, and we just want to ask that you continue to pray for us, keep us in prayer, and keep the Parker campus in prayer. Thank you again for everything that you do for us. God bless. Arizona Southern Baptist, when you give to the Arizona Mission Offering, you support this ministry and other mission causes across Arizona. What a blessing to be a part of what God is doing in our state. I hope you and your church will give generously to the Arizona Mission Offering this year. In the pew rack in front of you, there are envelopes if you did not have opportunity to get one last week, and I hope you will prayerfully consider what you will give. On Wednesday at 2.45, the choir is going to kick off the Christmas musical. You're thinking, why so early? Well, it really isn't that early. We only have about 13 rehearsals before we'll be presenting our musical on Sunday morning, December 18th. This is a perfect time, if you've been thinking about joining the choir, to come. There will be snacks. We will premiere our musical, and we will just enjoy a great time together. We'll have a Christmas tree with gifts, everything. So you don't want to miss that. That's at 2.45 on Wednesday. There are sign-up sheets in both the small and main lobby for a number of things. The small group topical studies begin last Wednesday at 4. They will continue, and no, it isn't too late for you to sign up for one of those four. You will see sign-up sheets in both lobbies. This Thursday is our movie. If you want to come and have lunch at 12.30, we do need to know that you are coming, so we will have enough food for you. The cost is $5 for the lunch. If you're coming just for the movie at 1, no charge. 
for the men's breakfast, which will be the first Tuesday in October. Bill McKenna will be the speaker for that. And then there are sign-ups also for both the men's Bible studies and the women's Bible study, which will begin Thursday, October the 6th. I want to publicly say thank you to the decorating team. When you went into the CLC and even in our lobbies here in the worship center, fall has come. And our decorating team has done a beautiful job of decorating. Thank you to that team. Last but certainly not least, next Sunday at 10.30 during our worship hour, we will have a vocal ensemble from Grand Canyon University. Hopefully you read about that already in the e-blast on Thursday. You see their picture here. They're an a cappella group. Their name is Critical Mass. They will be the youngest people in our audience that day. I'm sure of that. But you do not want to miss their mini concert next Sunday. So invite your friends and neighbors. We would be delighted to have guests. If you would stand now, I've asked Gordon, who has been a tremendous help to me the last couple of weeks, is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Help us to be loving and use your example to guide our thoughts this week. Help us to redeem rather than to judge. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget. And guide us to be more like you. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord, and for these friends that we have gathered in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.